Well, glad you're here. I want to dive on in um, to a couple of monumental moments in my life, maybe to set the stage, and I think it'll make sense in just a minute. But I want you to also contemplate monumental moments in your life as just kind of maybe I throw some of these out there. The single greatest day that I can remember in my life, the single greatest day uh, was the day that I married Julie Beth. It was a day, man, and I'm not just saying that because I'm supposed to say that. It just was. It was a great, great day. Um, got married at Homewood Church of Christ. Everything was just right. Uh, my father-in-law had built this massive ark out of styrofoam coolers. Um, I mean, how cool is that? Um, we, we ate all the finest foods you can possibly eat, meaning, um, you know, tuna fish salad sandwiches and <laughs> pedophores and those type things. It was just a great, great day. Julie Beth came, whoa, I mean, she came busting through, and it was just a great, great day. You know, I'm standing there going, I, like when they were like, yeah, you know, do you take him to be? And she said, yes. I was like, I can't believe I can't believe she said yes. She like she really she said this. We got this on video, right? She said this. You know, it was just a great day, single greatest day, monumental moment. Life was never the same after that day. Um, single worst day, single worst day of my life. Um, the day Macy Lane went in for open heart surgery. Single worst day of my life. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't eat. I, I feel like I couldn't even breathe. It was just, she probably barely even remembers it, um, but for daddy, no bueno. You know, I'm telling the doctors what they need to do, how they need to do it, all this kind of stuff. And they're like, hey, lay back or we're going to slap some Valium in you and knock you out, son. You know, I mean, it was just, it was the single worst day, single most confusing day of my life. Um, the attacks on 9-11. 21 years ago. Single most confusing, monumental moment. Single most confusing day. Um, September 11, 2001. Where were you 21 years ago? If you can remember that day clearly and specifically, raise your hand. Look around. It was a monumental moment, wasn't it? It was a day that seared in our brains, and monumental moments have a tendency to do that. They're seared in our souls. Most of us can remember very specifically, and just for kicks and giggles, a lot of you guys weren't born, and you're like, no, I don't remember that at all. But those who can't remember or weren't born, I bet you can still articulate exactly what happened that day, can't you? Why? Because you were taught it. It was so monumental that it was seared in such a generation's mind that it was, hey, we must never... Say it out loud. Never forget. Never forget. It was that big of a day. It was a day that changed individuals. It was a day that changed families. It was a day that changed communities. It was a day that changed the United States of America forever. It just was. And in life... There's always days that we remember, aren't there? Days like weddings, births, graduations. Days that we enjoy bringing or recalling back to mind. There's always those days, birthdays, whatever. But in life, there's also just certain days that are not just in our brains, but are literally embedded in our souls. They're deeper. 
They're monumental moments. Days that we just cannot wrap our brains around. We can't wrap our minds around those days. And and these days are the days that get dubbed with the moniker, if you will, never forget. Monumental moments. And on that day, 21 years ago, I I don't think it's wrong for America or churches in general to just remember that. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's nationalism. I don't... I don't think any of that. It's a day we'll never forget the pain. It's a day we'll never forget first responders. It's a day we'll never forget hospitals. It's a day we will never forget the unity with which the nation was unified over tragedy. It didn't matter if you were Democrat or Republican. It didn't matter if you were black or white. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor. It it just didn't matter. And on that day, a beautiful thing occurred as the whole nation was unified. It's a day we'll never forget. And, in other words, these moments are, if you will, ground zero moments in our lives that propel us to lasting change. Monumental moments. Whether it's 9-11 or a birth or a surgery or a wedding, God gives us monumental moments on purpose for meaning, to drive us to something, to produce something in us, and hopefully, with that personal framework in our minds, we can now wrap our brains around what Passover meant to the nation of Israel. We've been going through Passover, and we're like, yeah, yeah, Passover, 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 Passover. But until we feel it in the same way that we feel, What happened on September 11th, until we feel it in that same way, we'll never feel Passover the way that the Israelites felt it. This was a monumental moment for their generation, for their country, for literal time-space history. We should feel it in such a way. It was a day that was embedded in that generation's soul, if you will. It was a day that there's no way... Anybody living in that time could possibly ever forget what occurred. There's no way. Didn't Tyler do a great job last week? Covering 75 passages of Scripture. (laughs) Somebody just this morning, Dan said this morning, why on earth did we not break that up into two? Well, we just wanted to torture Tyler. So there's your your answer. But no, he did a fantastic job of walking us through all of that. Remember with me what Tyler walked us through. On that day... Um, or, or leading up to that day, leading up to Passover, the Lord changed water into blood and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let your people go. Then after that, he sent relentless frogs everywhere, right? And Pharaoh said, still, I'm not going to let your people go. After that, there was gnats and or lice. I like to go with lice because at some point one of our children had lice, and that is torture of all tortures to go through the whole lice epidemic, right? And those of you who've been through it, you giggle, and you're like, yes, that is... So I'm going to go with lice. He sent lice. And so all of the Israelites um, and, and, and the Egyptians are dealing with all of this. And Pharaoh said, I'm still not going to let the people go. After that, the Lord sent flies everywhere. And then Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let the people go. After that, livestock died all over the place. In Tyler's words, it was stanky. It was stanky everywhere. Dead animals everywhere. And Pharaoh said, I'm still not going to let your people go. After that, the Lord sent boils on people. Boils all over their skin. 
And Pharaoh said, still no. After that, the Lord sent a hailstorm. Pharaoh said, I'm still not going to let them go. After that, the Lord sent locusts all over the place. Still not going to let the people go. After that, the Lord shut the sun down and brought about utter darkness, proclaiming all these gods you worship, the sun god that you worship has no power over me. I will darken this place. Pharaoh still said no. And then we get to the tenth plague. And in the tenth plague, he said, okay, I will kill all firstborn in the land. Firstborn animals, firstborn uh, ducks, firstborn cats, firstborn dogs, firstborn chickens, firstborn whatever. And I will also kill all the firstborn sons. And in this moment, finally, Pharaoh goes, get out. Get out. Go, nation of Israel. Your God is more powerful. And that was the culmination of the, the moment that Tyler walked us through last week. So, there was a recap of the day. Passover. Feel it. On that day, they woke up. God said, I want you to eat some bitter herbs. So they ate the bitter herbs. He said, I want you to drink some wine. Drink the wine. I want you to eat the lamb without breaking the bones. We'll get to that when we get back to the New Testament. I want you to split, spread the blood that you, that you take of these lambs all over your doorposts. And they did all of these things on this day. And then the Lord came through and the angel of death had his way and he killed all the firstborn except for people who had the blood spread on the door. Hence the Passover. They were set free. It was a monumental day. How many of you, if y'all went through those moments, you would go, yeah, that's pretty big in my life. You'd feel it, wouldn't you? It was to produce something, and they, they felt all of this. So, it was a day that embedded an entire generation's soul for sure, but it was also a day that was proclaimed, never forget. From one generation to the next, tell them about Passover. Tell them. Remind them of everything that occurred so that they too will never forget. And Exodus twelve fourteen is where the Lord tells us this. He said, This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statue forever, you shall keep this as a feast. Why? Because after 430 years of slavery, 600,000 men, not counting women and children, were set free. And in that setting free, the Lord said, Never forget the extent with which I have loved you, never forget Passover. And so today, they still, on Passover, eat the bitter herbs. On Passover, they still to this day drink the cups of wine. They still to this day eat the boiled egg. They still to this day dip into the the water, the salt water. They still to this day... Celebrate. They still carry on. This is a generational monumental moment. Why? Because on that day, they understood pain. They understood unity. They understood sin. They understood God. They understood redemption. They understood life as they had never experienced before. And that should change things. It should produce something if you've experienced that. It was a day that literally ripped apart the fabric of the world in the way that they understood multiple gods versus the one true God. It changed all of that. 
It was a day that the grand narrative of the substitutionary atonement was put front and center on full display under lights for the world to see. There's got to be a substitution for you to be made right. Blood. There's got to be this that sets you free that was put front and center. On that day, it was a day that the lambs were bleeding and bleating in the background. The cries of the lambs as they were slain all over the country, screaming. If there's 600,000 men, not just women and children, there's at minimum 600,000 lambs being slain, screaming. The noises were in their heads. The images from 9-11, you still have these inseared in your brain, don't you? You see them right now. These images were in their head. They couldn't get the sound of the lambs out. It changed things. Families screaming even more as their firstborn children dead in their living rooms. And on that day, worship for the children of God like they had never had before. Why worship? Because as all the screaming is going on, as all the bleating is going on, as all the bleeding is going on, their children are safe and alive as covenant children because of the substitutionary atonement of the blood. And so in the midst of chaos, they rejoice. It changes things, church. And on that day... It was a day that they could never forget and future generations should never forget. God looked on that day at the blood on the door and not the sinners inside. Praise God. Changes things. It was a day that was monumental, life-altering, undeserved. It It was never-forget-it grace moment. It was God chasing humans with relentless love. Welcome to Exodus chapter 13. That, if you can't, if you don't walk into Exodus 13 feeling that, you cannot understand Exodus 13 and how it produces things. So two questions, and then we'll rock and roll through the text, okay? Fair enough? Two questions. Number one. When did Christ's Passover embed in your soul? Like, when did that occur? Now, I'm not asking for a day, because many of us grew up with people going, hey, give me the day, the time, the hour, the moment, da, 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 to prove your salvation. I, some of you guys may have that. I'm just not sure everybody... I'm not sure it works that way. I mean, John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit was on him from his... Somebody finish it for me. From his mother's womb, Okay. I don't think back in the womb, John the Baptist was like, let me make sure you get the day, the time, the hour down, right? I don't think he's that smart, okay? So so let's be careful about that. Um, But nonetheless, for me, it was 1995 through mm, roughly 2022, (laughs) all right? That's the day and time with which I'm understanding the gospel. It's more and more and more every single day. Now, 1995 generally was the moment where my eyes were awakened to the doctrines of grace, where I understood my sin, where just kind of the Lord just brought me to life, and and it's been a continuing journey. When was that true for you? You remember? You remember when it was? Um, Number question number two. 
What intentionally changed after that day? Like, what did it produce? What morphed? What did it? What about it did you never forget? What about it do you look back and go, hey, this is when this started occurring, when this started changing. And as we go into that, I'll just simply say this. Passover is definitely okay with you being messy. The Lord passing over you is, 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 is definitely okay with you being messy. As a matter of fact, admittedly, if you don't admit your mess, then you can't be passed over. Like that's where it all begins with, us admitting our mess. But just because Passover is okay with you being messy, as Beth Eubanks dropped a bomb on us in staff meeting this week, just because Passover is okay with you being messy doesn't mean that it's okay with you staying in that mess. Changes things. So good. So right. So let's see, if you will, Exodus 13. I think there's three ways in which the Lord said, because of this, things will change. There's there's at least at minimum for you, nation of Israel, three things that are going to change for you because of this moment. Let's journey through these together and see if the Lord will be gracious to teach us something. Number one is this. I think that we're going to see intentional, personal celebration. We're going to see that in the consecration of the firstborn. Remember, Passover just occurred, and the Lord said, because of this monumental moment, never forget, and never forget by doing these three things. Number one, have an intentional, personal celebration. Consecrate your firstborn. Set them aside. Set aside the firstborn. Exodus 13, 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, here's the word, consecrate to me all of the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And in this moment, we have the principle, if you will, of first fruits. There's a lot of first fruits in Scripture. Where it says, because of Passover, let your life be marked with several first fruit moments where you remember me. You remember me firstly among many things, and that'll be a way that you remember me setting you free. It'll be a way that you, in other words, worship The word consecrate just simply means set apart, to set apart something. And so, in this case, the firstborn animal was sacrificed. It was consecrated by being sacrificed. So the lamb was the payment, if you will. And the firstborn son was not sacrificed, but the firstborn son was redeemed. And in doing so, life was the thing that was purchased in this moment. So you've got a payment, blood. You've got what was purchased, life. And so in this moment, the lamb's going to die in the place of the firstborn son so that the firstborn son could live before God. And if you were a believer in this room, praise God. Praise God that this still is the point today. Passover changes this for us. So I want to say five things real quick. Five ways I think we can be strategic about personally having first fruit consecration. And I think these are all biblical things. So I'm not going to try to add to it. I'm just going to go through these things and say, hey, do we, do we worship that the Lord has passed over through these five biblical ways and so much more? Number one is this. We can, as believers, set apart or consecrate our hearts. That's the first and foremost thing. Because of what Christ has done through the Passover, the shedding of His blood to redeem us, we can indeed consecrate our hearts. And if you're an unbeliever in this room, this is the moment where we say to you, man, don't stay that way. (laughs) 
Don't stay that way. Today can be the day of salvation. You can consecrate your heart. As Romans says, you can offer your body set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Today can be the day of salvation. And you go this, Troy, but you don't know my background. Well, newsflash, you don't know my background. And look to the person to your right. You don't know their background. Look to the person to your left. You don't know their background. Look behind you. Now, now we've got a back of everybody's heads. You don't, that's not the point. The point is not what you've done in the past. The point is, by God's grace, you can draw a line in the sand, wipe it clean, and do today what you wish you would have done yesterday. Today can be the day of salvation. Let's not overcomplicate salvation. It's setting apart our hearts. It's this. God, all of me, I give to all of you. Pretty simple, right? And, and there's so many people that, yeah, but I don't know how to wax eloquently about justification, sanctification, glorification, holification. But I don't, I'm now we're making up words. I don't know how to... Da, 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 da. Stop! Stop! Are you willing to give all of you to all of Him? Less of me, more of you. <laughs> what did the centurion come up? Centurion comes up to Jesus. And there's this question about what does it mean to, to, to believe, right? And the centurion goes... Lord, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? So simple. And the Lord goes, now that's a man of great faith. That's it. Let's not overcomplicate it. You can, because of Passover, consecrate your heart. Surrender to Him from the womb to the tomb, if you will. You can consecrate your day. I think we see this all throughout Scripture. And what this looks like is this, before your feet hit the floor in the morning, it is, hey Lord, today I give the day to you because it's already yours. (laughs) So, help me to walk in it. Before your feet hit the floor, because of Passover, at minimum, we should wake up in the morning and go, Lord, I give this day to you. Use it for your glory. In Scripture, we see consecrating our money. Yes, before we spend on the boat or before we spend on the car or before we spend on the mortgage, this is the principle in Scripture of tithing first fruits. Our church is not one that's going to lay out percentages and all that kind of stuff. But the question is, has Christ's redemption changed your concept of money? We were talking this week about Mastercraft's newsflash, shocker. We are talking about Mastercrafts. Me and Tyler and, and some other folks were talking about Mastercrafts and how awesome they are. And, and they are. They're awesome. I mean, they're just incredible. And, and we're having this conversation about just how stunning they are. And, and, and the, the question came up, I just don't know how, how people have this and they have that and they have this and I don't... Da, da, da. And somebody said this, well, it's because they don't tithe. And there's some truth to that. Now, that's not always the case. That's not always the case. The Lord has blessed certain people, and, and, and that's the thing. But the question is this. With our money, do we take our money and go, I'm going to do what I want to do for me, for me, for me, and then, God, if there's anything left over, here's you a 20. Huh. And in Scripture, that's not the principle. The principle is, because of Passover, it even changed our concept of money. It's, Lord, you have graciously given me all things. You've given me the ability to earn wealth. You've given me the wealth that's received. You've given me that. And so right off the bat, I set aside first fruit, and I worship you, and I worship you just saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you let me 
have the rest of this to buy the Mastercraft, to buy the boat, to buy the whatever. It's not legalism. It's just a question of, has it changed our concept of money? Everybody's like, get off that, Troy. All right, we'll carry on. Consecrate our food. Now everybody's like, oh, I got this. Let's lean in on this one. I got this one. Consecrate our food. Before the food touches our lips. We don't sit down at the table and go... That's how Kobe eats. Uh, Sorry, buddy. We don't do that. We sit down and we go, Lord, I want to set this aside and I want to thank you. Thank you. Now, it's hip and cool for some reason in modern-day Christianity to say these words. Here are seven reasons I don't pray before I eat my food, and then it's this whole spin about grace and all this crazy stuff. If it is legalistic to pray and thank the Lord for our food, then call me a legalist. Right? Lord, this is a gift. Before we eat together, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you've given me the, the nutrition that you've given me. Men in this room, let me put a challenge out to you. If you're not currently leading your family through prayer, at minimum, do it at the table. It's set up for you. <laughs> Sit down, enjoy. Teach your kids, teach your family. Women, lead through prayer. Kids, the kids are all upstairs. Kids, <laughs> tell your family to pray. Do, you, do we consecrate our food? Set it apart. The Lord did. The Lord owns everything, right? And what did Jesus do? He held up the bread and he said, thank you. And then he broke it. Consecrate our seasons. We can consecrate seasons. Has the Passover changed the way that we conceptualize seasons in life? So before wasting time, do we calculate and intentionally worship through the rhythms of life? Here's what I mean. At the beginning of a school year, students... That's a moment we can say, thank you for this new season of school. <laughs> right? That would be an anomaly in and of itself. I don't know that I've ever heard a student say, thank you, Lord, for school. But we can set it aside and say, Lord, thank you for this season. I want to use it for your glory. Setting aside that vacation. Right at the beginning of the vacation. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we're able to rest together as a family and enjoy whatever it is. The Colorado mountains or the stream or the... what? Thank you, Lord. And then enjoy first fruits. This child. Thank you, Lord, for this child. Thank you. Before anything else happens, while there is still the bloody mess that's going on in the OR, <laughs> thank you, Lord, for this precious gift. Birthdays, marriages, the new job. The new job is an easy way to consecrate our lives. Lord, thank you for this job. I want to set apart before I go any further, thank you for this job. The old job. Thank you, Lord, for the old job. The house. The party. And yes, I said the party. Christians should party like nobody else. Like we should have the best parties in all parties. Like people should look and go, Christians throw the best parties. They're so happy. There's no pretense. They get it on. Okay? You can walk away going, say, baby, said we can party. (laughs) Christians should celebrate together. Because we have a reason to celebrate beyond this earth. We can set that apart. All that to say, we should be intentional about personal consecration because of what Christ has done. We should never forget through first fruits. Let's keep going. We should have intentional community, communal, if you will, celebrations. As seen in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
The Lord said, because I've done this, set apart first children. Set apart, consecrate. Then he said, also, have a feast. Have a party. Do this through the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Chapter 13, verse 6. Seven days you shall eat an unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all of your territory. Skips on to verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, we're doing this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. You should have the party so that your son will ask why you're having the party so that you can then tell them because of what the Lord's done. It changes things. Verse 14, we'll skip to that, says this, And when the time to come, your son asks you, What does all of this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And then verse 9, skipping back, it says this, And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes, and that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Here's three ways I think that Passover should change the community at large, or us as a faith family, in ways that we should never forget. Number one is what I said with the end of the last one, we should indeed party. We should party. Let's be clear, okay? Gathering as a church should not be legalism. That is for sure. However, gathering also as a church is not optional for the believer. Both equally true. Why do we gather as a church? Well, I go because my papa told me to or my mama told me to. Legalism. If you're going to earn something, then that becomes legalism. However, if we gather as a response, we're just simply being obedient as faith families who worship. That's why we gather. Where do I get this? Well, it's there in the feast. See, so for seven days, you shall not eat leavened bread. There, shall, there shouldn't even be leavened bread in the entirety of the nation, followed by on the seventh day, now throw a party at the end of this. Remember... And then get it on, right? Throw a rave. Now, <clears throat> it's easy to find the initial loaves of leavened bread. I think we need to see this. So he says, don't have leaven. And they go, okay, well, I'll take the, um, the wonder bread, because there's the loaf, and I'll just throw it out. But he goes on to say, don't just let it change you that way. Don't let any leaven be in your pantry. It's easy to see that first loaf, but they now I want you to go dive into the deep recesses of the pantry. I want you to wipe it out, eradicate it from the entire nation. Get together with your friends. Where is the little drops of leaven? Get it all out. Remembering that at the Passover, the Lord came in and He didn't just take away the big sin. He came in and got those hidden in the deep recesses, corners of our heart. That's why He said, get rid of it. Remember, party and remember that He's done all of that for you. Feasts, Easter, yes, it's the Super Bowl of Christianity. And you get a new outfit. Christmas, it's an awesome moment we gather. It's really cool, we're already working on Christmas this year. Andrew has got it finished and finalized. We're bringing in Shane and Shane and we're just going to be done with it. Um, (laughs) Every Sunday is a way we can communally gather. We get together, we celebrate, we hug one another, we shake hands, we we think through the Word, we contemplate. Community groups, we just throw it up. That's a way we can gather as community. 
You get together and share meals and share life and share stories and share fun and share Halloween trick-or-treat moments and do all the things. Events. That's why we rent out the, the, the slide and fit. Like we don't rent it out because we think it's cool. It is, I mean, it is cool. It's really cool. To watch Sam Calloway go down a big slide is pretty awesome. It's fun, but why do we do it? To celebrate. To celebrate that the Lord has united us and we are united together through Passover. It changes things. So we gather. We gather to celebrate Christ. Party, number one. We see that in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But also audibly. We communally, intentionally celebrate Christ and His Passover through audible. Tell your sons how the Lord saved Israel from Pharaoh. Why? Because any gathering that occurs without explanation just turns into hardened, meaningless ritual. And that is why some of you think that going to church is meaningless ritual. Because it's never been explained deeply. You just go. You go because mom woke you up and said, shine your shoes up. Well, they don't anymore. I had to shine my shoes on Sundays. I had to buff them suckers out. Make sure the pennies was in the penny loafers. Right? But a lot of people were just drugged to church. And it was never explained, hey, 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 before we go. Like it was fighting and screaming on the way to church. And then you get there and you get put on the smack bag or church. And it became meaningless ritual to you. But it's never explained, hey, we're going to go and we're going to worship. And the reason we're going to worship is because we're sinners and Christ has passed over that sin. And so we're just going to go celebrate. We're going to go have a party together with other people whose sins have been washed away. We're going to have a party. That's why we're going. Don't you think that brings meaning and changes things in our kids' lives when they understand that? It changes things. So he says, tell this to your kids. And this is the importance of practice in a personal testimony. To be able to share. To be able to share. To be able to share with people what Christ has done in your life. To talk it out. A testimony that's, that's God-focused, Christ-centered, family first, but always ready to be spoken in public. To just simply say, hey, I'm a mess. Christ is not and He covers my mess. Tell this to your sons and tell this to your daughters. Men, women in this room, have you done that? Have you told your kids what Christ means to you? Tell them. Tell them. Tell them today. Audibly. But then the importance of practicing it publicly. We've got to talk it out loud too. Tell them so that no one ever forgets. Why? Number one, because that's the means by which God saves people as we share testimony. However He chooses to work that out, He just did. We share what Christ has done. And then number two, if you think about the New Testament... The books of the New Testament are nothing more than men's testimony driven by the Holy Spirit. I understand what Peter says. Testifying of the great news of Jesus. They're just big written down testimonies of how awesome Jesus is. That's why. So, we communally celebrate through parties. We communally celebrate through audible. And then we communally celebrate through physical. You saw that in uh, what he said. See this. Uh, have this on your hands. Have this in your eyes. Uh, let this be in your mouth. This is all in the text. And many Orthodox Jews took this quite literally. They took it quite literally. Now I want to admit that Jesus pointed out that the meaning of Passover should be um, figurative and it should be on our hearts and minds and hands. Figuratively, Jesus did do that. But they did take it physical. And what they would do is they would write down verses and they would put it in a box. 
And then they would put that box on their forehead and tie it around. That's what they would do. And they would take the scriptures and write it down and hold it in their hands. So much so that they would go to the wailing wall to this day. Brandon just went. And they were doing this at the wailing wall, weren't they? They'll have the pieces of paper and they'll put it in their mouth. So they took it very literal. And you got this piece. And they're like, is he smoking a cigarette at the wailing wall? No, it's, it's scripture. They have it physically. And so... How can we do this? How can, because of Passover, how can this change our lives? Well, what about your wall art in your house? Now, again, I'm not making legalism here, but what about your wall art? All right. You can take down that picture of the naked person in the funny pose and put a... You're like, is he looking at my house? Or whose house is he looking at? I'm not. That's nobody's house. Um, and, and, and what about Scripture on the wall? What about something that reminds you I think that's a way we can set apart through physical memories. Sticky notes. I think sticky notes are the greatest tool the Lord has ever given us to worship Him. Why? Because you can stick them everywhere. On your car, little verses. On your work desk, little verses. Your kids, as they go to lunch, slap one in there. Boom. Sticky notes. Tangible ways. Kitchen towels. Kitchen towels. Uh, verses, reminders of God's greatness. Buttons on backpacks. I saw this at a... A guy was wearing this at the University of Alabama the other day. He had button, big giant buttons all over his backpack. And I was like, what a weirdo. And then I read them and it was all scriptures. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> He's far more holy than I. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, let's be careful that we're not labeling people who do these type things as radicals just to justify our own apathy. That's a Jesus freak. Because I'm too afraid to testify with physical things to the Lord. Let's be careful. Radical! Maybe they just love Jesus. Oh, snap. Let's keep going. I'm not pumped with this last title, but we're going to go with it because I couldn't come up with anything better. Um, So maybe you can retweak this and give me a better title. But finally, as we wrap it up, the last thing I see is daily spiritual celebration. Intentional daily spiritual celebration. As seen in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Verse uh, Verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer... For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But, the God, uh, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. So catch that. He didn't lead them by the easiest way, but He led them by the way that they needed to go. God doesn't always lead us by the easiest way, but He will always lead us by the way we need to go. You see this in the text. <clears throat> And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. It's a Genesis shout out. He's giving a Genesis shout out. Joseph, who was the ruler of the land of Egypt, knew that Egypt wasn't his home. He knew he didn't belong there. Take my bones out of here. And so they did. Verse 20, and they moved on from Succoth and encamped to Dethium on the edge of the wilderness. Verse 21, and here's where I get that last thing. This, day, this is what should change. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. 
that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. In other words, what should change? The Lord gave them daily revival. Daily. It wasn't just a Sunday thing. It wasn't just a Wednesday thing. It was daily. They worshipped daily. And revival gets tripped up a lot of times because of the way that we've slapped it all over billboards. We're going to have revival on June 14th through the 17th and we're bringing in pastor so-and-so and singer so-and-so and we're going to have revival. Probably not. It's a great event and that's fine to have those events but that's not where revival is. Revival, by definition, is just simply the manifest presence of God. Listen, the Lord can bring revival anytime He wants, whether we plan it for June 14th through 17th with Pastor so-and-so, or if the Lord just chooses to show up in your shower. He can bring revival anytime He wants. And that should change things. He says daily by these two pillars. And this still happens in churches. I've seen it four times. Gardendale's first. Good grief. We had revival literally for six years. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Some of you guys have seen that. And if you've seen revival in church, there's nothing you can... The Lord just shows up. It just shows up. The Lord does this in families. There's some families in this room that could testify right now, and I'm not going to out you, but you could testify right now that the Lord's bringing revival in your home. He's changing things. There's a daily revival to be had for the people of God because of Passover. It changes us daily. Look at the two pillars and then we'll wrap it up. Under the pillar of cloud, what did he do? Well, he protected them from the heat of the desert sun. As God's children, he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to hover over you. You're in the wilderness and I'm going to hover over you by a cloud. And I'm going to protect you in the desert from the sun. Daily, the Lord guides his children and he guided them with a clear, tangible path. <laughs> and some of us in this room are like, I wish that the Lord would have a little cloud that would hover and I could just follow it. That would make it a lot easier. Anybody testify? You want that? It would make life a lot easier. But that's what he did for his covenant children. Well, you can have that by a more tangible way through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe... Maybe, just maybe, we would rather have the cloud that we can see because we don't understand fully the spirit that we can't see. More powerful here, though. Oh, shoot, there's two. Pillar of fire. Pillar of fire by night. What did he give in the pillar of fire by night? Light in the midst of their darkness. Remember, they don't have have street lights. There's nothingness. They're in the middle of a desert. And the Lord goes, I love you so much that I'm going to be with you even at night and I'm going to give you a light. Now this would be a trip to see, wouldn't it? That'd be cool to see. Why? So that they could see, but also so that they can enjoy life. He would light up their night. At night they could do nothing else but just go to sleep because it's pitch black dark. And he says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you time after all of your wandering through my light to enjoy one another. Your presence, Lord, brings about enjoyment with one another. And so he did that. So I'm going to, my opinion, I don't think there's a way that you can create revival. I don't. I know a lot of people that try, and we call it the revival treadmill. 
if I do this, if I do this, then the Lord is bound to show up. I have to da 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 Well, he didn't in Acts chapter 2. He just said, I'm going to show up, and he did, and Pentecost happened. And a lot of people who try to create this revival in their lives, it's like a treadmill, and you run, and you run, and you run, and you run, until you fall flat on your face. And then you're like, where are you at, Lord? I don't think it works that way. However, I do think genuine revival is always marked by three things. Number one, unhindered worship. When a group of people have unhindered worship and they don't care about the person on their right and the left, I'm not saying you start jumping and running and all that kind of stuff. However, I would like to say, Eddie, can you run around in just a minute? No. When there's unhindered worship and we're here to worship an audience of one rather than to be worried about the person on my right or your left, the Lord just seems to show up in a different way. Number two, transparent repentance is usually a marker of genuine revival. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I've got to get right before the Lord at all costs. And then number three, relentless prayer. Relentless prayer. I'm going to pray until the heavens come down. And if they don't come down, I'm going to die praying. Usually it's where revival comes, those three things. Let's close it up. No monumental moment of grace is ever possible without two elements. Number one, the Lord and His choice to redeem a covenant family to Himself. And then number two, the Lamb and His blood. Passover is possible because the Lord said, I'm going to redeem in the midst of people who are unredeemable, and I'm going to do it by substitutionary blood. Any moment in your life that is a monumental moment of grace, is the exact same thing. The Lord going, I am choosing in my sovereignty to give you this moment, number one, and the only reason I'm giving you this common grace or this saving grace is because of the blood of the Son. Period. It's all about the gospel. Every bit of life. Would you stand and let's pray together. Lord, the nation of Israel brought nothing to the table except the need to be rescued. And then upon rescue, the only thing they knew to do was to offer back intentional worship in their lives. As individuals, as a community, and daily. And so, Lord, maybe now in this moment we're kind of contemplating, okay, how how do I properly respond right now? Well, Jesus, I pray that those in this room who have been saved by the one true holy God, I pray that they cannot wait now to worship the one true holy God to honor the blemish-free, sacrificial lamb. Julia Herrett Johnston, she understood it. 
she understood how monumental Passover in her own life changed things, and she wrote this hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the Lamb's blood was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is a flowing, a crimson tide. Brighter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? And I'm going to need all the singers in the room to burst it out and help us out. But if you know the chorus, let's sing it together. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin.